Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us today is Sabra Horn, a veteran of the National Security Agency and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, who is now the entrepreneur in residence at uh, BMNT, a strategic consultancy, uh, and she has spent uh, a hefty chunk of her career uh, trying to drive uh, innovation in government and now from outside uh, government. Sabra, thanks very much for joining us. I know we've been planning this conversation for a while, and I've, I'm very glad to be having it. Great to be here, Vago. Uh, indeed, a pleasure having you aboard. And before we get started, Leonardo DRS and HII sponsor our global coverage. Fortress Information Security sponsors our Cyber Report. General Dynamics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage, and GE Aerospace sponsors our air warfare coverage. Um, Sabra, uh, it's uh, been a while on this program since we've discussed uh, the, innov- uh, the ecosystem uh, that you have been uh, writing about uh, recently, uh, the innovation ecosystem, uh, as many of us prepare for the annual pilgrimage down to Austin for uh, South by Southwest. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, there's innovation and there's uh, innovation theater and frustrations that sort of go go with that, whether in government or or out. Um, and there are very mixed grades uh, given on all sides. Um, we talk about innovation more than ever, right? Everything is innovative, disruptive, breaking the mold, hacking it. I'm not trying to be critical of anybody who's hacking or breaking any molds. Um, how do you grade how we're doing um, in in this drive to harness innovation, you know, identify it, harness it, scale it, field it um, in in ways that are meaningful and not just sort of boutique, uh, right? And there's always room for boutique, but how are we doing sort of like moving the big needle? That's a great question, Vago. And I would break it into two main categories. Um, How are we doing in terms of uh, the desire to be innovative and to do things more creatively, quickly, uh, mission-focused? And then secondly, how are we actually achieving uh, mission focus? And I think those are two different grades. It feels, since I've been involved in innovation specifically in the last four years, that in the last four years, we've seen a dramatic increase in the interest uh, in the topic of innovation. So I would give us all an A on interest um, and enthusiasm but I would say we're probably closer to a C on the execution. We've seen so very many efforts taking place um, across not only DOD, but the entire USG. And I think you've hit it on the head, which is pointing out the problem of the hero efforts. Too often we ensure that someone has to do something heroic to bring about mission in a new way, because we simply don't give the resources in the right way to someone who is asked to do a new activity. Something's not been done before. Something that is creative. Something is using a resource from another organization or agency. And so we look to the innovation heroes to accomplish that truly important mission focus. But I think if we think more broadly about the word innovation, which absolutely is is probably rightfully uh, not always appreciated. Uh, The word innovation can mean simply theater to so very many people. But if we turn it around and really look at, are we achieving mission? 
that's the real focus that we need to take. And I think by using quote unquote innovation, we're talking really about being able to act more quickly, acting with speed, being creative and how we go about solving our mission focused problems, being flexible in meeting those problems as quickly as possible and as many ways as possible in being persistent in driving to meet the mission need as soon as possible and really about bringing collaboration and the tools and resources from so very many people. By focusing on those ways we bring about innovation, I think we get away from theater. And I think you can find that in any number of places across the US government. Certainly though, I think we're seeing there's an increase in the number of innovation organizations, not only in DOD, but across the US government. Um, when I started doing innovation in government back in 2018 at CISA, I was asked to stand up the innovation hub there. We had about 120 organizations within DOD that were doing innovation. Now it's over 154. We've seen that the Deputy Secretary of Defense Hicks uh, has focused on innovation in the last year and a half in a new way. And uh, the number of 154 organizations comes from her agency's efforts to chronicle exactly the innovation units that we're thinking about and utilizing. So the increase is dramatic, not only in DOD, but across the USG, but how are we really utilizing the resources of all of those organizations? How are we drawing upon people who are connected or part of those innovation units? And how are we achieving a, a, a mission focus collectively in a different way? Well, so how do we, right? I mean, as, as, as you noted there, uh, you know, bef before we uh, uh, started talking, right? I mean, one of the criticisms uh, without any uh, disrespect uh, to Dr. Carter, who was the initiator of the Defense uh, Innovation Unit Experimental DIUX was that it wasn't resourced, right? I mean, when Eisenhower created DARPA, he created it with the equivalent of billions of dollars, right? Hundreds of millions of dollars when it got founded. So overnight, it had a lot of power uh, and it had a presidential prerogative uh, that, that went with it. And, and DARPA has been one of history's most successful technological organizations that has been able to identify, grow, scale, experiment, fail, uh, as, as, it, as it seeks solutions with a great revolving door, right? Nobody stays in DARPA too long. You, you go to DARPA, you do stuff, you, you come out, go to industry, and you may come back uh, later on. Um, you know, Arthi Prabhakar uh, is a great example of somebody who was a program manager and, and came back and was director and, and now obviously advising the president on science. Um, what are the parts of this that we're getting right and who's getting it right? Uh, and at some point, don't you have to consolidate down, right? If you have 154 different organizations, you may be squandering your effort, dividing your energies, right? Um, resources are always finite. How, you know, wh what parts of this are working? What parts of it are not? Where is it we need to get to if we're gonna actually get more serious about this aside from at least like, right? I mean, you're saying the good news is we all have the positive chi about it. But at the end of the day, it's also deliverables, as you said, mission focus. That's right. You've hit on a lot of important topics. Um, and I want to first, I want to say, yes, uh, Dr. Carter did an amazing job in helping us all move forward quickly in thinking about how we might bring about innovation within DOD and the USG. And so um, we all miss him greatly. Um, 
But I will say from my own personal perspective, we know that innovation doesn't always require resourcing. Um, sometimes uh, we know within the government, folks are given a task and very few resources to get that task done. And it is a, a question mark within the organization that we believe that this effort may turn into something real. We want to see if there are going to be people who come to solve this problem collectively, if we are able to utilize resources from other people um, in order to bring about the result. And I think innovation gets a bad name because it isn't always resourced in the right way, but we know this is a basic tactic of leadership within the U.S. government, which is, let's see if something's going to work out. Let's see if we're going to be able to get this moving in the next year, two years, three years. What does that look like? And so I think we need to stop using uh, those examples of, oh, gosh, if you don't have money, if you don't have people, you're nothing. That's not necessarily the case at all. Um, I will say when I stood up the Innovation Hub, my resourcing was basically nil, but you, I was able to utilize the resources of many organizations, not only across DHS, but outside of DHS to bring about amazing capabilities to benefit CISA. And so innovation, the heart of innovation is really about those partnerships and finding opportunities and finding people who can help you make good things happen more quickly, more easily, more simply. I would also say uh, innovation too oftentimes people think is only about technology and that is not the case. Yes, emerging technology and being able to utilize emerging technology is critical. And, and certainly within DOD, most of the innovation efforts are focused on bringing in commercial technology uh, more simply uh, and quickly and easily. Um, but there are many kinds of innovation that really have nothing to do with having millions of dollars at your hands to buy new things from the commercial sector. You can bring about policy changes with no dollars. You can bring about new standards and new processes without having a tremendous amount of resources. And some of those capabilities are incredibly essential. Again, when I was at CISA, one of the biggest challenges we had was that we did not have the ability to bring people into our organization quickly. We had not only security challenges, right, bringing people in for um, high classification positions, but we also had an additional policy requirement on top of the clearance called suitability. That added a tremendous amount of time to bringing someone into the organization. We were able to work with the head of security and the head of HR to literally change one policy that allowed us to bring people in the door from eight months previously to about six weeks, eight weeks in the end. And that made a tremendous difference for our ability to achieve mission quickly. I would also say that I am interested in seeing how the services within DOD come together. You're absolutely right. We have 154 organizations um, and everyone is doing a lot of amazing work and making some great things happen. I will, I will certainly salute 
um, DIU as a, as a leader in terms of making some amazing things happen with alternative acquisition authorities, um, particularly the Commercial Solutions Opening Authority. Um, so kudos to them. But I am looking to see how the various services are going to be able to come together and leverage the capabilities of their own innovation organizations to benefit all of us more easily, more simply. I think there is probably a lot of redundancy and we no doubt have some gaps as well. So how do we really write this and utilize the resourcing that we have to get things done more effectively? From your perspective, right? Um, because you know you were a narrow part of the innovation ecosystem, even though you touched and commingled with a lot of other folks, right? I mean, the greatest thing about cyber uh, and and CISA's role is it's kind of a wide, can be a very wide ranging role. Um, and and you know, indeed, having a national cyber director has been important uh, in order to have one one uh, throat to choke, as it were, uh, as right. the Cyber Solarium Commission uh, that that led to the creation of Chris Inglis's job. Uh, we will noted. all miss him greatly in that role for uh, We will all miss him, uh, a great American uh, who's uh, served uh, the nation in many, many important capacities, uh, whether in, in uniform at NSA and, and uh, you know, in academia and then uh, the commission and the White House. Uh, who's getting it right, Sabra, right? So as you look out there at organizations, who's, who's getting it right? And what are the kind of incentive structures? Because you noted, the solution is often an HR solution, right? It's not necessarily a technological solution, whereas that's where I think most people actually try to find innovation, perhaps misguidedly. Who's getting it right to serve as examples? Well, I, I would like to highlight, what does getting it right mean? I think that definition is changing for us. I think if we look back to 2018, 2014, um, our understanding of what can be done looked quite different. And the number of people who were working across the DOD or USG to bring about innovation, it was a, a it, we're a magnitude greater in so many ways. And so I think the definition of what right looks like has changed. I would point to two really exciting things that I've seen recently. One is the Defense Acquisition University's efforts to support Deputy Sec Def Hicks in her investigation of how innovation is taking place across the DOD. They are working on building model competencies for innovation to ensure that all acquisition folks across DOD are looking at how they can go about their job while bringing about innovation in a new way. And so it's looking at the characteristics of people who do innovative work. It's being able to articulate those characteristics, to hire for those characteristics and skill sets, to train according to those skill sets, um, and to incentivize and even reward people who are doing work that is innovative. It's very challenging, I think, for so many people across uh, the USG who, who are doing innovation that you know, they may find themselves at the end, a dead-end road in their career after they've done this effort. We should be rewarding people who are doing the work that drives us to mission faster and easier, um, and I think that's going to make a huge difference. 
In my book that I wrote, uh, Creating Innovation Navigators, I articulate some of the key characteristics that are vital in, in how we need to be looking at our innovators across our organizations. Who works with speed? Who is collaborative? Who is creative and flexible in finding problems and solutions? Who is persistent and diligent and uh, quickly getting to um, the real heart of the problems? Who to are able to get to solutions more effectively? Who's able to talk to the end user and really understand and learn from the end user what has to happen so that we can achieve mission much more effectively? But I think once we're able to step back um, and really look at the hiring, the training, and our ability to incentivize and reward innovators within our organization, wherever they sit in the organization, whether they are acquisition people or in general counsel or in strategy and policy or our operators. There are so many places that we can look for people who bring these characteristics and skill sets to bear so that we're all benefiting. We also have uh, Innovation Navigators course that we've taught to, taught to a number of amazing organizations across the DOD as well as the USG and watching people really hone in on the importance of these characteristics and skill sets and how to find within their team people who have these skill sets and are able to help make our innovation efforts happen much more quickly. That's very powerful. Um, I, I would uh, I completely agree with you. And all too often, we send the wrong signals, right? I mean, we punish uh, the risk yes. takers uh, yes. and the people who, who push boundaries uh, and maybe push us all uh, to, to try to do better. Um, you know, you, you talked about the solutions here not necessarily being technological. Um, and, and it really, at the end of the day, is about people and incentive structures and the people who get rewarded, right? If the sabers of the world get rewarded, the process moves as opposed to the Luddites like Vago who are, who are holding things back potentially, right? What's the kind of talent management approach we need? Because we have a graying out of the workforce and a younger generation perhaps not being attracted to government the way they should be, uh, right? The compensation in private industry is much better. Your compensation in the military is a lot, a lot better. Uh, military will send you for, for education. The government tends not to. Um, how do we need to think about talent and do we have the courage to reward those risk takers and the smarts to craft a talent management recruiting and retention um, capacity in government so that it doesn't become an incidental thing across your life and career, government has been a constant, whereas that's Absolutely. not necessarily the case among others. I totally agree with you, Vago. I think it is looking at um, how we really create this talent management system in a more effective way so that we are able to come up with a common set of skill sets and characteristics that we use in our, our um, job descriptions when we're posting for jobs. Again, regardless of where they sit within the organization, if you're trying to bring innovative people in, emphasize that in the job description. Talk about what that means and how innovation is going to be critical in that job. We need to train people more effectively and we need to be systematic 
and collaborative are across our organizations so that we're using the resources of various organizations to bring about the right kind of training. There are so many different tiers of folks within our government structure, and we need to be able to look not only at leaders of our, of our agencies and our departments um, in instilling and encouraging and seeing those characteristics related to innovation, but we need to be able to reach down to any level within the organization. And again, find, encourage, train, and build those skill sets in an organized fashion. I think it starts with us creating collectively a set of uh, skill sets as that we all recognize are common across all agencies and departments and across all jobs so that we can see those people, recognize them, train them, incentivize them, and reward them. Um, I mentioned a moment ago the Defense Acquisition University efforts to really create a set of competencies. I think that is an amazing effort that, of course, will go DOD-wide. I recently chatted with um, a colonel uh, who had helped bring about within the Air Force a set of competencies that are used across the Air Force as well. So let's start bringing these together and recognize uh, what is common and promulgate those things that are common so that we can all work together. I also recognize um, places like the NASA, uh, new, newly stood up organization called the NASA Acquisition Innovation Lab, the NAIL which is focused on how they grow uh, their acquisition workforce in order to be more effective. And their focus is on using innovative tactics in order to get to the results more effectively. I will also say I personally experienced uh, working with the DHS Procurement Innovation uh, Lead, the PIL, who did amazing things in helping us within CISA to figure out how do we utilize acquisition resources more effectively? And how do we use the authorities that DHS had been given already so that we can buy things more quickly and get things uh, done so that we can get to our mission? So there are a lot of amazing uh, organizations that are really trying to move forward. And I, I do salute acquisitions for trying to, to push the boundaries in, in some great ways, very much needed, we all know. Look, I mean, the portrait you're uh, painting is uh, is heartening uh, in that it is also encouraging um, and is a testament to the kind of leaders that we've had in some of these jobs. You work for Chris Krebs, who was kind of a singular talent uh, in in government and more of the kind of person uh, of, of courage, conviction, uh, but also a desire to get things uh, done in, in the spirit of Suzanne Spaulding and we're seeing in Jen Easterly's uh, case uh, as, as well, right? I mean, so CISA, a tremendous organization in trying to find innovation given the magnitude of the threat. Let me ask you just one last question, which is, um, you know, the Office of Personnel Management is the one who crafts the, you know, shapes the, the, the nation's uh, civil service and workforce, right? What are some thoughtful changes that you would propose as somebody who's worked within this system to change maybe the incentive structures, uh, right? Um, because in a whole bunch of very subtle ways, the government has a way of reinforcing stovepipes, reinforcing risk aversion, right? Um, singular leaders can overcome that, uh, but the system itself 
has a gravity to itself. I mean, are there things you could propose um, to the folks over at OPM maybe, or the White House in terms of how they need to look at this to execute the kind of change everybody, many people would like to see. And I might have actually a last follow-up for you on, yeah. on this. So I think this is a, a great point and you're exactly right. OPM is critical in, in helping to bring about uh, these skill sets that we need across not only DOD, but the USG as well. And so I will salute, um, you know, OPM has uh, had for a number of years, uh, the lab at OPM that's been great in working across departments and agencies to help support people who are trying, trying to do innovation efforts. But I would also say they have a new person, Jim Kraft, who's now responsible for innovation at OPM. And I'm excited to see what Jim is going to be able to make happen um, so that we can really bring about some different changes. I like your focus on what are incentives um, you know, I, I love the fact that we have such a remarkable set of um, it, within DOD, right? We're able to uh, move our jobs every three years. I think we should feel um, responsible for ensuring that people move into jobs that are dealing with innovation in some way, and then go on to a greater role once they are finished. It is not a, a dead-end stop. It's not a bang your head against the wall until you can't go any further. It's, a, it's part and parcel of how we see transitioning into and out of parts of our organizations such that people are learning broadly and gaining a wide set of skills. I think we do need to have a more formal set of training opportunities across the entire U.S. government such that people are able to take courses that build these skill sets regardless of what level they're at, whether it is the senior leadership so they're able to look strategically about how they bring about innovation within their organization or at the working level where utilizing innovation methodologies and tools and tactics such as agile or design thinking or uh, scrum. How do we utilize those uh, different methodologies and how are people trained adequately to use them effectively? I think, as I mentioned earlier, uh, helping to reward people on their performance evaluations each year, recognizing specifically, here's what the person has done in order to help drive innovation. And therefore, this person has achieved success and therefore will be rewarded thusly. Uh, and Vado, I wanted to make sure I came back to your point earlier, which is folks are joining government because they know that the mission sets that we have in government and in defense are unlike any other challenge you will get in any job on the face of the earth. It is a compelling way to spend your life and your energy. And it is the types of problems that we see uh, in national security and in government, you cannot replicate those anywhere. I will say I personally came to the government uh, following 9-11. Uh, I had a very fruitful and uh, career within academic publishing that I adored. Yet when 9-11 happened, I knew that unless I joined national security, I was not going to be fulfilled in the same way. And so I walked away from a very lucrative career in order to join government. And I made good money 
not fantastic eye-watering money, but I will never regret every moment I spent in government doing great work that is going to make a difference for the security of our nation. Uh, in, indeed, something uh, that has motivated others. But, right, I mean, the Delta, it, you know, even going back a couple of decades ago between government service and commercial industry was, right, it wasn't as great as it is today, uh, right? I mean, do we, do we have the right sort of approach um, in terms of financial rewards, educational incentives and the like? I mean, you know, as you said, I mean, you spent 20 years uh, in government uh, between 9-11 and when you stepped down, roughly? I think we're seeing two things. Number one, I think government is recognizing that in order to keep up, we have to look at compensation in a different way. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that changes in the next couple of years. I think we're also all seeing changes that are taking place within uh, private sector. Uh, we all know so many of our friends and colleagues who perhaps don't have a job right now uh, because things have changed in the economy and tech companies have had to lay off literally tens of thousands of people. And so, you know, I, I think the goal uh, for us in national security and in the government is to make it easier for people to move into government and out of government so that each person's personal decisions about where they're going in their career isn't hinged exclusively on compensation, but looks at the broader range of issues and is able to move in and out, whether or not they have a clearance, um, in a way that is just much easier than it is today. Um, let me ask one uh, incentivizing industry question, right? Um, at, at the end of the day, if you're a major company, for example, you may have a completely game-changing idea, but you have to weigh that against the reality of what that does to your existing business lines, uh, right? The chairman Reed uh, has suggested, right, whether we might need a BRAC process to get rid of um, weapon systems maybe we don't need anymore uh, as a way to sort of try to depoliticize some of these uh, decisions because one person's necessary weapon is another person's wasteful one, uh, perhaps. Mm -hmm. How, how do you, we better incentivize industry um, to sort of embrace maybe innovation, um, even if it, you know, yeah. you've got, I don't want to use this term, but I think folks will understand, even it buying them off, right? Like, hey, look, we don't need this program anymore. So we're going to buy an X number of them. We're going to give you a ramp. Here's the next generation we'd like to go into. Something a little bit more thoughtful maybe than, than the way that we try to do this, given that there are a handful of big contractors, everything is seen as existential. What are the ways you can incentivize industry to those really game-changing ideas um, to, to get that transformation to the new generation, right? Uh, because some of this is technological hardware and the big guys you know, do have an ability to deliver at scale, for example, that, you know, as Bill LaPlante put it, the tech bros may, may have the idea, but can't scale, right? How do we incentivize industry to come along with this, in this uh, with us in this journey? I think you just asked the toughest question. And I think we all can see that we've not been successful in making that happen. And, and we can look at dual use technologies where we expect uh, uh, startup companies or, um, you know, small companies to, yes, 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 we know you, you believe that the commercial market is truly important, but we really need you to be focused on support to government as well. So, 
you know, make sure that you develop your capability to ensure that both markets are met. And, and we as the government have not done what we needed to do to support that growing startup uh, world uh, in a way that is going to feed us as well. I think we can look at so many existing uh, mechanisms that we have that de-incentivize uh, companies from working with us. I think we've seen it's it's been hopeful over the last, I would say, six years, how interested venture capital has been in the national security space specifically and how much they've invested in our capabilities uh, at the commercial side such that it would benefit us in the government. However, that sea of money will come to an end if venture capital doesn't see a return on their investment. And I, I think we have to recognize that the clock has been ticking. And if we don't act and we don't act quickly, you know, any business person is going to make a decision that, well, this isn't really worth our energy and effort. So I, that is my least hopeful statement of the, our, our entire discussion, Vago, <laughs> and I, I wish I could have given you a more upbeat answer to that. I'm looking um, for us to do something. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to moving this ball ahead, uh, which is one of the reasons I'm very happy that you were able to join us um, today, Sabra. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, appreciate uh, very much uh, the views and, and, and the drive to try to change um, uh, things, you know, there are a whole bunch of folks, you know, your uh, boss, Pete Newell, uh, somebody who's been uh, trying to uh, push this uh, long uh, overcooked noodle uh, up the hill, uh, Steve Blank, Joe Felter, uh, you know, Rod Shaw, uh, you know, I mean, so many uh, folks, uh, Mike Brown, more recently, uh, George Duchek, right, I mean, and, and Dr. Carter, and, and many others who've tried to sort of uh, push this. It's good to know that we are doing better, but I think it also frames how much more we have to do, right? Indeed. I think you hit it on the head. And um, I'm hoping we have a conversation in a year from now, and we'll have much more optimistic ways to end that conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping so. Sabra, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Bongo.